0: while the children are leaving. What's that say behind me? I know some old Baptist walk in there. Man, they are turned charismatic just speaking in tongues in there. That's what y'all sound like. I want you to think about what that says behind me. Because it's crucial in what I want to share with you particularly over the next three months. This month, we're going to be in the book of Psalms. We're going to talk about a desire for God to show us His ways. This is crucial. We easily ask God to show us His ways, but do we really mean it? The so next month, we're going to be talking about stewardship. So, oh, man, i got to take September off because we're going to be talking about stewardship. Listen, your life is a stewardship. It's really not about money. It's about a life that's surrendered to Christ. So September we're going to do that. And then in October I'm going to be talking about Christianity and Islam. Pretty relevant for our day and time, but maybe I'm going to be sharing it in a way that maybe you hadn't considered before. Dealing with it in honesty and truth, but hopefully always dealing with it from a, from the way Jesus would look at these people. What does Jesus say here in Matthew? Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. How? With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. Love the Lord your God that way. And, then say or, and love your neighbor as yourself. In context, Jesus made this statement right before a keeper of the Ask him, well, who is my neighbor? Who are you referring to in this passage? And Jesus' response was a parable. The parable was the parable of the Good Samaritan. A heretic. A half-breed. Someone that was hated and despised by the Jewish people. And by the way, in that parable, don't let it pass you by, that Jesus made that heretic, that half-breed, that one that was hated despised. He made him the hero. Not the Pharisee. Not the scribe. He made the hated one. The one that had the heart after God. And so now we go to Psalms. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 25. And throughout this month, we're going to be looking at this one passage particularly, verse 4 and 5. But we're going to read the first five verses of Psalms, put everything in context. And here's what the psalmist says. This is a psalm of David, and here's what he says. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be put on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Now, verse four and five is the crux of what we'll be looking at this whole month. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all day. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truths and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation and on you I wait all day. How I wish I could honestly... Echo these words in my own life as a follower of Christ. How about you? Is this your heart? Is this really where you're at? Is this a picture of this church, of this body of believers? And there's, I'm not even assuming that anybody in here is not a believer in Jesus Christ, not a professing Christian, not someone who has said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe You died for my sin. I accept You as my Lord and my Savior. And I believe You are the Son of God, the virgin-born Son of God. I believe that You died on that cross. I believe You rose from the dead. I believe all those things. so, in my messages this month, it's not so much of of any intent to infer that somebody is not really a Christian, a born-again person. But my intent is Do we Christians, do we who are part of the body of Christ, does our life echo what we read here that David has written in the 25th Psalm? And is it really important that it should? Do these things that in in David's prayer that he desires from God, are they the desires that we have in our lives? And what place should they have in our lives? And how real should we be with God when it comes to this matter of prayer, of seeking Him, of desiring Him and desiring the things that that He has for us? I wonder if we look at our own prayer life. And I'm I'm really more concerned with our individual prayer life, although it does impact our corporate prayer life. But how real are you and how real am I when it comes to our prayer life with God? Look at how David begins this psalm. Look at verse 1. He says this, to you, O Lord, I lift up my voice. Isn't what he says. To you, O Lord, do I lift up my desires. To you, O Lord, do I lift up my wants. To you, O Lord, do I lift up my needs. To you, O Lord, do I lift up everything that, that I think I should have that you, O Lord, are required to give me because I think I should have it. That's not what he says. What's he say? This is deep, folks. This is... I was challenged with my own approach to, to God and prayer this week. Uh, I, I want to share. Last Sunday, I went to church. Hey, the preacher goes to church when he's not in church. And I went to church. You know what kind of church I went to? I went to a Christian church. Wow, that's good, too, isn't it? But I actually went to a four-square gospel church. Pine Valley Church in Bayfield, Colorado. You know what? Those four-square gospel people, they love Jesus. They're not even Baptists, and they love Jesus. Nobody jumped a pew. Nobody popped off in in some unknown language. Nobody come up and slaved me in the spirit or anything like that. They just praised Jesus, and they got up and just shared the word. What a, it was such a blessing for me, and very challenging, very challenging for me to look. Listen. To look not so much at what I believe. What I believe and what you believe is crucially important. But how do I apply what I say is so important to me? What difference does it make that I believe in Jesus in my life? What difference does it make that I believe that God is sovereign of the universe and that that He is more than able to do everything and that that, that God is good all the time and everything that God pours into my life is the best thing for me, even though from my perspective I cannot see that? What about my own prayer life? As we read here in Psalm, To thee, O Lord, do I, I lift up my soul. I lift up my soul. Not just my voice, not my desires, not my, not my wants. But Lord, I'm going to lift up my soul to you. And the way we might put it is, Lord, I'm going to pour out myself to you. God, I don't know what I'm made of completely, and I don't know what's in the innermost parts of who I am, but, but God, I need to pour it all out to You. And God, it may not be the proper way to approach You. It may not be the, the, the way that, that, that the seminars teach and, and that, the, that I'm taught in Sunday school. But God, I don't know anything better or anything more than I desire than to pour out my soul to You, because that's all that I have, God. And sometimes when we talk about prayer, we make it a very hard thing. Sometimes when we talk about prayer, we make it all about us and our wants and our desires. Very rarely do we come to God like the psalmist does and say, God, I pour out who I am to you. You know what, you, what happens when you pour out what's in you? You know what's left? You know what's left? Nothing. I think that's what prayer is about. God wants to pour out that which is in us. And there's a lot in us that ought not to be there. And as we pour that out, what does He always do in response to our prayer? What's the ultimate aim of our existence? Is it not to know God, to experience God, to, 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 to enjoy who God is? And isn't our key problem that's that standing between us and, 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 and that fulfillment of why we exist, isn't it those things that we have crammed into our life that have, that have cluttered our life so much that there's no real room for God? Maybe in the corner somewhere. Maybe some days we've cleaned out the, the attic just a little bit so we'll give Jesus a little bit more room. In our life. But we're so cluttered with so many things. God has called us to pour out our soul to Him. To empty it out so that He can fill us up with what He has for us. I want to say this, but I think sometimes some of the things that we clutter our life with, we do because there's a fear that if it's emptied out, God will fill it up. And we may be fearful at what God might want to fill our life up with. Because if you think about it, what He really wants to fill us up with is Himself. And there's a lot of aspects when I look at Jesus' life and His walk, and I look at the Word of God which reveals God to us. There's a lot of things about God that I'm troubled about. Not that they're wrong. Hear what I'm saying? Not that they're wrong. But I realize if I do give myself completely to Him, something's got to change in me. And I'm not sure I want that to happen. We talked about in our Sunday school class today that we Western Christians, the key and the focus of much of our, our Christianity and our prayers and even our Bible study is our own comfort. I assume that everything's right with me and God because I'm comfortable. Nothing's moving in my world. Nothing's happening in my world. I'm, I must be exactly where God wants me to be. I'm having no, no opposition. Well, I'm not having any real victory either, but hey, I'll stay in the middle because the middle is a good place to be. Because I'm comfortable there. Isn't it interesting that God, Jesus never wanted us to stay in the middle? In the illustration of the book of, of, of Revelation and, and Revelation chapter 3, he says, you know what? I would rather that you be hot or cold. I'd rather you be all the way for me or not for me at all. But you have chosen to stay in the middle. And because you have chosen to stay in the middle, you make me sick. And because you make me sick, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Our prayer, our Bible study, our service, our love has grown lukewarm. We don't pour out ourselves. We don't pour out our souls to God. We still want to be in enough control that we can tell God what He needs to do and how He needs to do it. But we wanna we wanna do it we wanna do that kind of praying just enough so everybody everybody perceives that we're really pious people that are really seeking after the heart of God. While much of our prayer is asking God to approve who we are and what we want. Think about this your own prayer life. I'm not here to judge you for life. I just want you to think about it. How much of it is focused on what you want, what you desire, who you are and even, even what you want God to make you. Say that, not that a good prayer, Pastor? God, make me... Well, it depends on how you approach that. God, make me into something where people see me. Even see me for you. Wait a minute. No, no, wait a minute. There's too much me in there. There's only a little bit of you there. If our desire is that we have God make us into people that God... That pe- People that God excuse me, people that other people see God in us, not us being for God, not us representing God, not us testifying and have a great testimony for God, but that they actually see Jesus in who we are. The psalmist begins this by saying, Lord, I pour out my soul to you. Can I ask you, when's the last time you poured out your soul to God in prayer? Man, when I had to, to look at that this week and, and consider it before I share it with you today, I thought, man, that's was a long that been a long time. It really has. It's been too long. Oh, I prayed. I prayed just like the rest of you. I pray daily. If some people see me in certain places, they may think I'm one of those old guys that walk around talking to themselves. But I'm really not talking to myself. Just wherever I am. You saw me fishing and stuff. You, you thought, who's he talking Is he talking to that pole? Certainly not talking to any fish because there's none on the line. I, 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 one, I was actually sitting there one day thinking, Jesus, why don't you come over and tell me where to cast this pole? I mean, you did it one time. Why not do it now? I, I do that. When I meet with my brothers and sisters, we pray. We pray before we eat most of the time. Pray when I go to bed. Pray when I get up. But it's been far too long that I could echo what the what the psalmist says. Lord, I pour out my spirit to you. Nothing of me and everything of you. God, I'm not here just to desire and ask you for things for my life or even for other people's life. God, I pour out everything in me because all I want is You. And wherever that takes me, and whatever You want to do with me on the basis of me having You completely in my life, God, I'm ready. Because God really is not about me. It is about You. To the Lord, I pour out my soul. And what was His request? first part of His request is see, there. In verse 4, first sentence, and that's what we'll be dealing with the rest of our time today. And Here's what he says. Show me your ways, O Lord. How many of you would pray that? Don't raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass anybody after I get done saying what I have to say. Show me your ways, O Lord. How many of you know the ways of God? How many of you think you know the mind of God? How many of us think that we, when we pray, we know how God is going to respond to our prayer? How many of us, most of us maybe, do, when we pray, assume that when we pray, that God must answer us in a way that's acceptable to us, that fits within the parameters of what we've always assumed is how God works and fits within the parameters because we are such noble Christian and pious Christian people that it will fit in the parameters of what we've already decided is right anyway. That God will affirm what our mind has already determined to be true. And that God would never move me from a place where I'm comfortable in my relationship with Him to a place of discomfort In order that He might reveal His power in my life. I I believe that's the way we approach prayer most of the time. I do. And so to make this request, this is a huge request. Lord, show me your ways. And again, we Christians, our assumption is when we say, Lord, show me your ways, what will be the result is, God, thank you for affirming who I am, what I believe, and what I do. Never is it a part of our assumption that when He begins to reveal who He is in our life and His ways in our life, that it will completely and totally shake up our world. By the way, that's the last point, so I'm not going to go there yet. Lord, show me your ways. Tim, please put back the Luke verse again, would you? The question was asked. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? What is the primary commandment that you have for those who would be your followers? That's the question. In context, that's where this is going to come from. Now, I want you to hear something. If it is the greatest or the primary commandment, it should be of utmost importance to we who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Should it not? it should also be that which is primarily seen in my life and your life when I claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, there's a whole lot in the Bible we can talk about what it means to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. But bottom line is this. If I claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that which is primary and foremost and most important in Jesus Christ's life and teaching, you should... I mean, can I put this? You and I should at least see that in our lives, right? We should at least see this. Right? There's a whole lot of other things that we say, you know, well, that'd be nice to be a part, and, and it would be. But when we get down to where, as McGee used to say, where the rubber meets the road, when we get down to that, what you should see in our life is that which at least that which Jesus says is primary. That which is the most important. That which is the greatest of the commandments. You should at least see that in the life of one who says they're a follower of Jesus Christ. Right? I want you to understand something. As you read this in context, he says, I have a command. This is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is not one of those optional things that we as Christians can say, I'll choose to do that or I won't choose to do that. In other words, if we're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, If this is not true in our life, we're not a follower of Jesus. I'm not saying you're not saved. Listen to what I'm saying. You can go to church every week. You can go to every Bible study there is. You can go to every prayer group there is. You can can give all your money to the poor. You can do all those things. If this is not true, then you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. And you can try to, you and I can try to manipulate this to say, love but, love but. Love this group, but not that group. Love these people, but not these people. Oh, you don't know how awful these people are. Jesus, look at that verse. Jesus gives no wiggle room in that verse. And when they tried to wiggle out of it, He, he gave them a parable that they just could not. I bet you before He, when Jesus says, Now which one of these demonstrated the love of God? That that teacher of the law, that teacher of law had to swallow hard before He said to Samaritan. That that didn't sit right with him. But there was only one correct answer. It wasn't a Pharisee. It wasn't a scribe that demonstrated the love of God. It was that heretic Samaritan who would dare worship God in a place other than Jerusalem. He was the one that demonstrated the love of God. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, tells us that we are to love the Lord our God with everything that we are. And we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Who are our neighbor? You might have some ugly neighbors. By the way, they may have some ugly neighbors too. Ever think about that? You might have some ugly neighbors. Who are our neighbors? There are people that are enemies of our state. Should we love them? Should we love them? You can't be a follower of Jesus without loving Him. I read this book this week. It was an amazing thing. This man met this Muslim man, and he, and he said to them, he says, I know you consider me your enemy, but I want you to know something. It's going to be good for you to, for me to be your enemy. The Muslim man looked at, the, at this follower of Jesus and said, why? Why? He said, because Jesus says to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, and to bless them. I said, you know what? You can consider yourself my enemy, but man, you're going to get it good because I'm going to love you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to bless you just like my Savior said to do. We've got to get this right, church. And we can sit here and say, well, I can't love those people across the sea, and it may be difficult for us to do because, because of the battles that are going on. But a lot of times, our problem are not those people across the seas, but those people that are across the street. Or across the aisle. When we pray, God, show me your ways. The first thing He's going to show us is that which is most important to His heart. He's going to show us that which is most, that is primary to Him. And Jesus said that which is most important to God, the greatest of the commands that God gives, is what's written on, on the board behind me, on the screen behind me. If I have a problem with this, I have a problem with following Jesus. And I had to confess my time away. God, I have a problem with this. I do. There are groups of people I don't like. You could actually say I hate them. There are individuals in my ministry, if I was deadly honest with you, I would say I despise them. I despise them for what they've done, what I've seen them do to, to the church. I despise them for their attitude. I despise them for their arrogance. I despise them for their false piety. And every time I start doing that, then this image starts coming up in my head. And you know what? It's not an image of them that I'm seeing, it's an image of me. Because everything I just said is all about me. When I forget that, then I forget this. Or maybe I should put it this way, when I forget this, then I go in that direction. We can put every excuse and every, we can come up with, quote, reasonable arguments why there are some people, some groups that don't fit into this category. But I want, you, I want to remind you, Jesus didn't leave any wiggle room for us to say, I'll love everybody, I'll love my neighbor except for my neighbors that are like this. Or my neighbors that do this, or my neighbors that believe this, or teach that. You say, Pastor, your, what you're what you're just you're just teaching us to, to, to believe anything and to don't confuse loving your enemy or loving your neighbor with the fact with 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 the, the thought that you have to agree with them in everything. Don't, don't, don't confuse loving your neighbor with, with some sort of teaching that you must compromise what is true, what is right, what is good, and what is holy. No! But I really am beginning to believe this. The only thing that gives me an audience to share the love of Christ or the message of Christ with someone else that doesn't know Christ, no matter what their background is, is this matter of love. If I don't love them, if I can't love them, then I need to keep my mouth shut. Because that which I would share with them would not come from a basis of God's love for them through me, but would come actually from from a place of arrogancy, from a place of I'm better than you, from a place of I know and you don't know, and you need to listen to what I have to say because I'm all wise. Show me your ways, O Lord. It begins with what is primary to Him. I'm afraid of that. I don't want God to show me His ways. I don't. I want God to affirm my ways. I want God to bless me. And again, we go back to this matter of prayer. Much of our prayer life is we've already decided what we're going to decide. And there's no room... For God to speak in our prayer life. Except to say, okay. That's all we want to hear from God. All we want to hear from God is okay. We don't want to leave room for God to actually speak something. God, I, I need to do this in my life. And, I, and I've made this decision that this is the direction I need to go. So I'm praying for your blessing in this. And I'm praying that you would, that you would guide me. But not guide me so much as to tell me what to do. But just sort of, as I've already decided, we've got to be there and help me along. Okay, God? Now, God, i got about 45 seconds before I get up from here. Well, that's too long. 20 seconds before I get up from here. So I'm waiting for that okay. And, I, and if I don't hear anything, I will assume that you have come into agreement with me, God. It's an incredible thing. A cr- an incredible display of arrogancy to say, God, I'm praying right now, and I need you to come into agreement with me. My goodness, who do we think we are? Prayer is not getting God to come into agreement with us, but in prayer, we the mind of God himself, the mind of Christ himself, will be revealed if we have ears to hear. Book of Revelation, chapters uh, 2 and 3. Seven messages to seven different churches. You familiar with it? Seven messages, starting with a church that had lost its first love, ending with a church that... That was lukewarm in the middle of the road. Seven times. Seven times. Christ reveals Himself in each one of these churches. He reveals Himself in a glorious and a magnificent way. Seven times. And seven times. There's this verse that says, Let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit says to the churches. When is the last time that we've heard what the Spirit has said to First Baptist Church of Fountain Hills? When is the last time we wanted to hear what the Spirit says to First Baptist Church of Fountain Hills? When's the last time we earnestly said, show me your ways, O Spirit of God? Do you understand what I'm saying? Does it make any sense to you? Does it impact you in any way in what I'm trying to share with you today? We're just going to go through this and then come back next week for the second part. This is this is, this is bottom line. That nothing can change. Again, I came to this, this, this conclusion. Nothing can change in my life until this changes in my life. Nothing's going to happen in my life until, until I can earnestly pray, just like the psalmist, show me your way, the Lord, with every intent. To hear what He has to say, that what the Spirit has to say to the church, and every intent that whatever God shows me, wherever God leads me, that's exactly what's going to happen. Even if it's completely and totally outside my own comfort zone. And God, bring me to a place where I don't come with You filled with everything, but that a place where I pour out my soul to You. Where my soul is let, literally empty to receive Your direction, Your guidance, and You in every area of my life. Show me your ways. Show me your ways. Joshua had led the people of Israel to a great battle. in victory in battle. You're all familiar with it. It was quite an interesting battle plan because it came from God. Show me your ways, O Lord. And Joshua was shown by God his ways. Jericho. Everybody remember the story of Jericho? Okay. Not the greatest battle plan that was ever devised, as far as man is concerned. But Joshua said, God, show me your ways. And what God's way was, Joshua, you take my people, you march around the city once a day for seven days. On the seventh day, you march around seven times. Last, Last time around, when I tell you to, you blow the horns and you scream, and I will give you Jericho. Craziness. Craziness. Lunacy. How can this be? Lord, show me your ways. So God, make my arrow fly straight. Make my spear find its target. Make my battering ram stronger than the wall that I'm about to knock down. That's my way, God. And put your seal of approval that this will not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Show me your way, O Lord. God gave them a great victory. They go off into the next battle in a place called Ai. There's a guy named Achan who chose to be disobedient to God. So he, rather than doing what God says, he kept some of the things that God said, you don't touch, you don't keep. All right? They go to Ai. They should have easily, from every perspective, from the human perspective, they should have easily defeated Ai. It was nothing compared to Jericho. So, we're just going to march right in here, take AI. and it's, just, you know, it's an afterthought type of thing. And they were defeated. And you find Joshua on his knees before God. Said, oh, God, what's going on? Why did this happen? We're the great army. you already showed us victory. All these kind of things. And God's response is such an interesting response to me. He says, stop praying. Stop praying. Get up off your knees and go clean up the camp my way Joshua it's my way Israel if you're going to have victory it's my way and don't come before me saying you want to ask me things to pray to me to request things yet have no intention of doing what I tell you to do in the gospel of Luke Jesus says it this way he says why do you call me Lord Lord and then not do the things that I tell you to do makes no sense Show me your ways, O Lord. Do we really desire that? Would we really pray that? What's wrong with us? Why don't we see Jericho? Well, pastor, do we need to march around something seven times? You missed the whole point of Jericho if you think about marching around a city. You missed the whole point of it. But we also missed the whole point by saying... Nothing like that could possibly happen today in our lives because we're not in that Old Testament time. See, again, you missed the whole point. God is God. He's God today. He was God yesterday. He'll be God tomorrow. And we have Jerichos in our life all the time. The problem is, we think that we have to defeat Jericho and knock down the walls ourselves. The same God that gave Israel Jericho will give us our Jerichos too. So what should be our concern? Or where are we at? We pray, God, show me your way. Or we're afraid to pray, God, show me the way. But there's another aspect that I don't want us to miss before we finish up this morning. Could it be that we, when we talk about prayer, that our view of prayer is warped? Could it be, could it possibly be that we don't know what it means to really pray? That we don't, I mean, we have designed prayers and we have, we have, We have even repeated prayers. say, well, there can't be nothing wrong with this prayer. It came right out of the Word of God. Well, I beg to differ with you. You and I certainly can read the Word of God and walk away. Because we've approached it in the wrong way, we can walk away worse off than we were when we gathered together. You say, that's not possible. Read what he says in in the book of 1 Corinthians. He actually tells the Corinthian church, you know what, folks? It would have been better if you all not even gathered today. It would have been better if you just stayed at home. It would have been better if you stayed at home, gorged yourself at home, drunk your wine at home, got drunk, instead of coming down to the congregation. I wasn't going to say the church building because I met in homes at that time. But come down to the congregation and did did what you guys did here. Pushed others aside. Treated others as if they were less important than you. Everybody grabbing for everything that they could get. Many times our prayer life is more like a bunch of pigs at the trough than it is about children coming before their father. We're going to push every other pig out of the way. And we're going to get the best piece of slop we can get. Listen, if God's not in it, it's slop. I don't care what else you want to call it. Oh, I can't believe he said that. Pig? Call me a pig. I'm never going to that church again. How dare that pastor call me a pig? Then get away from the pig trough. Stop eating the slop. Stop pushing your brothers and sisters around to prove that you are closer to God than they are and that you deserve better from God than they deserve. Listen, the prodigal son found out that he could not find anything from his father in the pig pen. It's time for the church to find out that we cannot find anything from our father in a pig trough either. The Bible says that we're sheep, not pigs. It also says that the sheep know their Master's voice. They hear their Master's voice. And sheep respond to their Master's voice. Pigs aren't good for anything, but getting all excited about what they want and trampling even the most precious pearl. Even the most precious pearl. Trampling trampling it under under their feet. We've warped what prayer is. We settle for the scraps that fall off of the table. We settle for a bowl of porridge like like Esau, rather than understand that we are the children of the Most High God. And there's nothing greater than to realize that. And there's nothing greater than to experience that. And there's nothing greater than to sit there and receive what our Father has for us. A few years ago, we sat in a men's group in Mesa. And we had this man, actually, actually, our first year here, he and his wife visited. His name was Ray Coleman. Wayne, you remember Ray. I believe he's with the Lord now. He was a World War II pilot. He flew one of those bombers. He was also a World War II prisoner of war. And uh, he talked about when his plane got shot down. And how he was the last one out of the plane. On his way out, he grabs his parachute. And he had to wait for the plane to drop a certain thing to to do all this parachute and stuff. And they they got him and they put him in a prison work camp. He, he he would tell us that at the at the end of the war he was they were sitting there in the camp. And they they saw this caravan of trucks come along, and a half track pulled up in at the front of it. A guy stands up there on it, you know, just you know like they do sort of in the movies and stuff. And it was actually General Patton. When I sat there and I listened to Ray share his experience and saw even some of the pain that was still there for this man and the things that he had gone through and even his request that no one would have to do that any longer. I want to tell you, That room was dead quiet. You want to know why? Because no one had anything to say to add to what he was saying from his experience. Who had it? Even some of us who were veterans and stuff, we had nothing to add to what he he had to say. What he had to say, listen, it stood on its own. Nobody could add anything. How we as a church need to understand. If that's what we need to do before our Father, what do you have to add to what God has to say? We're so busy talking at God, telling God what is and what should be. We've warped prayer to the place that it's no longer what it should be. I could add nothing to what Ray had to say, and the truth is, I can add nothing to what God has to say in my life and your life. Well, good. I want my prayer to to make things right in my life, Pastor. I want I want to be healed. I want to be rich. I want to I want to be prosperous. I want this. I want that. I want that's a spoiled child's prayer. Do I believe you can pray for healing? And at times, God uh, answered that prayer. Of course. Do I believe that sometimes God pours riches into people's life? Of course. But the focus of our prayer needs to be our Father, and we need to be willing to listen to the one who has something to say that you and I don't have in and of ourselves. We don't have it. It's not in us. Oh, God, thanks for sharing that. Now, let me just share how I perceive this, God. God, thanks for revealing that. But, but God, I think there's something you missed in this whole, this whole calculation, this whole, this whole uh, matter, because, God, you're not quite seeing it the way I see it. So let me clarify it for you, God. And let me make sure before I finish praying, God, that you know exactly what I want, what I need, and when I want it, and how I want it. And God, I'm going to give you your 15 seconds, and I'm going to assume that if you don't answer in 15 seconds, that you're in agreement with me. We have warped prayer. As I sat at that table with that World War II veteran, I had nothing to ask. nothing to add. It would have seemed foolish for me to say, but you know what? I was an MP in Japan, and we drove around in garrison vehicles and stuff, and I played basketball, and I played baseball. Oh, ooh, okay. Climb Mount Fuji twice. Come on, Ray. I have nothing to add. And when I sit at the feet of my Father, and I pour out my soul to Him, and I pray, Lord, show me Your way. What can I add when I actually pray and desire that God would show me His ways? I have nothing to add. We have warped prayer. We have made it all about us. We want to speak and we don't want to listen. We want to tell God. We don't want to receive from Him. Lord, I pour out my soul to You. And God, I pray that You will show me Your ways. God, I'm afraid that You're going to show me. But I don't want to see. And that brings me to my final point this morning. Here's what you and I have to realize. And I'm coming to realize more and more, the longer I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, that when God shows me His ways, my world is going to be shaken up. My world is going to be transformed. My world is going to be changed. And if I don't expect that to happen, then I'm not really expecting God to show me something. I mean, if I could figure it out myself, listen, if, I, if you and I could figure it out ourselves, if we can make it right ourselves, bottom line is, we don't need God. And unfortunately, far too many evangelical Christians in our Western churches today, they don't need God. They'll never say that. They'll never say that. But when you look at our life, we, we demonstrate that we believe that we don't actually need God. But here's the point. Every time God moved, that I read in the Scripture, every time God did something in response to prayer, I mean genuine prayer, every time God worked in the life of those who were the followers of, of His Son, Jesus Christ, He shook their world up. Sh- can, you, can you agree with me that the Pharisee Saul never, never perceived where the end of his life was going. Maybe it was in his mind, you know what, if I work a little bit harder, if I'm a little bit more zealous, maybe the day will come when I get to sit where Caiaphas is sitting. Maybe maybe I'll get to be the head of the Sanhedrin. Maybe, maybe that'll be my position. I can believe that maybe Saul thought that. He talked about it, the fact that he was a Pharisee. Of ph- Pharisee. He was zealous for that which he had committed his life to. And then, he heard from Jesus. Not only did he hear from Jesus, but if you read the text, Jesus showed him the way of God. Not just unto salvation, but for life itself. And so now you have this Pharisee, whose name has been changed to Paul. And you have him understanding that anywhere and everywhere he goes, that which wait, he said it himself, that which waits for him is change and persecution. When he went into a community, he did not know whether what was going to happen was people's heart would be soft and they would be transformed, revival would take place, or he would cause a riot. He didn't know. But here's what I discovered this week as I was finishing up the, reading the book of Acts this week. At the end of his ministry... Have you ever read this? At the end of his ministry, he says, I need to go to Jerusalem. And he says, I know what waits for me in Jerusalem. I know change. I know that, 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 that uh, rejection and, 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 and people will stand against me. But as he's heading to Jerusalem, he runs into, I think it's two different people that the Bible says had the gift of prophecy. And both of them said this to him, said, Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. Because if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to die. And Paul says, now how would we respond to that? Oh, must be a sign from God. Going the other way. And Paul says, I must. And he did. And he died. Boy, brother Paul, if you just had the sense that we had, you wouldn't have gone to Jerusalem. You wouldn't have had to die. If you just had... If you just had the walk with God that we have... It, Paul, if you would just have learned like we've learned that, that prayer means going to God and telling Him you want the best. You want to be comfortable. You don't want to ever have struggles. You don't want to have any testing. God, prosper me because I'm your blessed child. Paul, if you just learned that, you wouldn't have gone through that. My point is this. Saul heard the voice of God. Paul desired the ways of Jesus Christ and God shook up his world like he could have never imagined. When we come before God in the same way and pour out our souls to God and in that pouring out of our souls we say, Lord, show me your ways because we have every intent of knowing what they are And every intent of obeying them. And when God begins to show us His ways and we see that He's called us primarily to love Him with everything that we are and then to love our neighbor as ourselves, we have every intention of doing that. And we're ready to drop all the pretense of prayer. All the warped view that we have of prayer. And stop making it about us and what we want. And begin listening. To the Spirit of God, let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And we realize that in doing this, God's going to shake up our world. Let me ask you this. Deep down in the places maybe that you never go, maybe every once in a while, maybe when you have this whim where you really don't want anybody deep down somewhere inside of every born-again believer, don't we want God to shake up our world? Don't we want our world to be just turned upside down? Don't we want to see the power of God revealed in our life? Don't we want that? Yet the craziness is everything we do, everything we do, it seems like, stands in stark contrast to that desire that's deep down within us. We do everything we can to put up barriers barriers and blockades to restrict God's work in our life and God's way in our life. So my church, family, I believe God is saying to us, if you really want me, you also have to want to pour out your soul to me. To empty out all that trash, all that garbage, all those things that that hinder you from coming to me. And if you're going to ask me to show you myself and to show, me, show you my ways, don't do it with some false pretense. But with a heart that is empty before me that really desires for me, for God to show us His ways. And know this, that He is ready, I believe, to shake this place up. To shake your world up. Your home, your family, your personal world. This church. My goodness. He's even powerful enough to shake up Fountain Hills. I think, I think there are some people that believe, have come to a place believe, nothing, nothing can ever really happen in Fountain Hills. It's too affluent, it's too self-sufficient. I'm going to tell you this, God is powerful enough to shake up Fountain Hills, Arizona. Who's Fountain Hills, Arizona, when you're talking about God? I don't want to be one who stands in his way. God is calling us to begin. By pouring out our souls to Him, church. You can't wait for someone else You say, you know what, if we can get a group of people to do it, that will do it with me, then I'll do it. Now, don't wait for somebody else. And as you're doing it, don't be talking about somebody else. God, I'm the only one here that's really praying, really pouring out my heart to you. Shame on you, because you're not pouring out your heart to God. You're judging your brother or your sister in Christ. If they're not, then trust God to bring them to where they need to be got to start with somebody. got to start with at least one person. Who knows what the Spirit of God will do when at least one person says yes to God. Show me your way, O oh Lord, because I have every intent and every desire to do what you want me to do, what you bow your head with me. I'm wondering this morning, I'm wondering this morning, Is there one person that genuinely echoes or desires to echo what the psalmist said there in Psalm 25? Is there one person? Is there one person that wants to pour out their spirit or their soul to God? God, I don't know how to do that not a matter of how. It really is a matter of obedience and willingness. No right way to do it. No methodology in this. Maybe it's getting to the place where we don't have anywhere else to go and nowhere else to run. And so we were ready ready to say, Lord, I pour out my soul to you. Would there be anybody in this church that would do that today not because you think I want you to do it not even because you think you ought to do it but because you've been touched by the Spirit of God and you can't do anything else but pour out your soul to God and begin asking God to show you His ways that are so far above our thinking shame on us for ever thinking that we could tell God anything God show me your ways are you ready for your world to be rocked? I didn't say, are you ready for it to be healed? Are you ready for, for things to get better for you? Are you ready for prosperity to be poor? Are you ready for your world to be rocked? Regardless of where it takes you, no, regardless of what you have to go through, are you ready for God to change your life? Begin to mold us into the church that He wants us to be. These steps are open. You don't have to go through me. But you are more than free to come if you want to just get on your knees before God. Maybe you just feel more comfortable right there where you're at. And that's fine too. Maybe you just want to stay right there and just pour out your heart to God. That's fine too. Maybe you'd like for someone to pray with you. There'll be myself and some gentlemen here at the front that would be privileged to pray with you. You say, Pastor, I'm struggling. I don't know what it means. I don't know how to pour out. I don't even know if I want to okay, come, let us pray with you. Come, let us pray with you. Be honest with God. God, I don't know if I even want to do this. I'm afraid to do this. Come, let us pray with you and encourage you. Not put you on the spot, but just lift you up before the Lord as your brothers in Christ. Maybe you're here today and you thought, wow, I really didn't know what this was a, that this is what this is about. Just this, this following Jesus. I thought it was just being religious and... And I need Jesus as my Savior. I need to, to know who He is. Maybe you want to talk to somebody about receiving Jesus as your own personal Lord and Savior. Again, we'll be here at the front. I'll be glad to pray with you and talk with you about that. Believers, when is it going to change for us? When is it going to change for you? Why not right now? I'm asking you to respond to God. And finally, the Lord may have brought you here and wants you to be a part of what he's doing in this church. If that's his leadership, then we want to bless you in that and encourage you in that. If that's not his leadership, we don't want you to respond just because you think somebody wants you to respond. Obey God. Hear his voice and trust him. Father, I thank you for this time. Now, Lord, may we be a people who do not just talk about pouring out our soul to you and desiring to see your ways. But way we be a people that earnestly mean it. We may not know how to do it the most effective way, Lord, but that earnestly mean, Father, that we want to know your ways. So show us your ways as we pour out our souls to you in Jesus' name. Would you stand?